welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Shubbs Apardiai. He's Director of Medical Quality at global health company, Ada. So as an NHS GP and a digital health enthusiast, Shubbs is a strong advocate for the potential of technology to support clinicians with patient care and to empower individuals to be more proactive about their health. Certainly a good guest for our podcast, seemingly. He is the Clinical Evaluation Working Group co-chair of the ITU and World Health Organization focus group, uh, AI for Health. And that's focused on global benchmarking for AI solutions in healthcare. Again, super relevant, looking forward to this. And the co-creator of docolabs.io, which focuses on getting clinical insights early into digital health product development. So you're a busy man, Shubs. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks Thanks for the intro, uh, James. And yeah, um, busy is, is definitely something that um, uh, learning how to juggle all these things is a, is a big kind of uh, learning point uh, for me at the moment but yeah it's, it's really really um, great to be be on the show and thanks for having me on awesome yeah looking forward to looking forward to hearing about how you juggle that busy life see how I can pick up some tips myself but first of all whereabouts are you speaking to us from today yeah so so I'm actually in Berlin um, and finally we've got some sunshine here so so it's a really nice warm day so yeah I'm in Berlin um, yeah Excellent. And let's hope the neighbours keep their building work to a minimum for the next hour. Yeah, literally like on cue, here, like here they are. So, so apologies for, so um, so the intermittent drilling is something that I can't avoid. So, so sorry oh, about funny. that. Um, so Shubs, listen, as I say, great to have you on. We've actually spoken once before when I was writing that Forbes article on Ada a while ago. Since then, Ada have gone on to raise even more money and do even more interesting things, which I'm sure we're going to get into. You obviously have got yourself to a point where you've done, where you do quite a few different things in your career, and so I'm interested to hear how does one go about uh, such a career and the life to get to where you are. Tell us a bit about your story. Yes, so thanks. Um, uh, so that it's definitely been a meandering career, I'd say, to now, um, and probably like a lot of people who kind of. Um, have 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 got into this um it's often kind of about being in the right place at the right time <laughs> um so so just i guess going back so i finished med school um in london in the uk um back in 2008 um and like no inkling of being like anything on my radar about digital health um so my whole thing was hey how can i kind of go and travel and be do medicine in other places apart from from the uk so so actually i got to do my f2 which is kind of residency year in australia so i spent a year in australia and actually so that was in 2009 and there got my first taste of remote medicine um so i had to spend three months in the outback um and mm. do a stint with the royal flying doctors there wow. and they have like a central base and like covering an area like the size of england um, like one base covering the area of the size of England. And then there's like these satellite clinics that are run by nurses. And like, so the doctor on the base who I was supporting would be, would be kind of the central kind of nerve center where um, they were using telemedicine and, and the nurses who are on, on in, in each village to kind of deliver healthcare that way. And where then people were kind of much sicker, like decisions, decision-making on who needs to be retrieved, who needs to be taken to kind of yep. escalated care in kind of more central locations, like super formative, super 
interesting and lots to learn out out there and you were and, and also working in the kind of base hospital there you're kind of everything so you like answer a bleep saying hi this is the pediatric and general medicine and general surgeon <laughs> resident on call how can i help you um, so so you i mean you're literally everything out there which was like really awesome and actually kind of started like I guess molding my mindset into being a bit of a generalist mm. um and I suppose and it's hard to, to go back into a heavily bureaucratic hyper specialized mentality once you've gone through that mentality when you're treating a head injury one minute and you're I yeah, don't know, doing some surgery the next and, and yeah, yeah and snake bite you know yeah, yeah absolutely and 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 actually um so when I came back I was I, I thought that this was a really really interesting area and that that kind of um, pushed me into doing the diploma of tropical medicine in Liverpool nice. when I came back um, and kind of then was still trying to decide what to do and did a couple of stints in Sierra Leone working for a primary care charity out there um, wow. and then kind of thought okay yeah generalism this is where it's at mm. um, I'm I want to be a GP um, it gives me um, the ability to a not have to choose but actually like think very broadly um, about um, about care and being really holistic about practice and kind of actually being interested in lots of things that, that felt like the right fit for me mm. um so then kind of did um gp training which then finished in 2014 and that was in northwest london um i then had a f- um, few years kind of doing clinical work working in urgent care um and um locuming as a gp in northwest london and i think it was around then as well like general practice started feeling a lot of the the pressure and this kind of balancing of tension between how how important the like relationship-based care was and continuity um, and that, that complexity of care and increasing uh, burden of disease that we have in society versus like less doctors, lack of access, like you, we, we, like we can't have it all. So how, like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna address this as a mm. society going forward? Um, and, 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 and then I met a friend, his name is Max. He used to be an ED nurse and then just became, went like fully into like, coding and became and, and is now like really by the way now as a really su- successful um ai engineer wow. um so he, he is he has an incredible journey but um and he's not even pre- doing that in healthcare anymore he's just like fully fully tech um but we we kind of met at this very formative time where he was like he introduced me to like hey le- read the lean startup um let's make a website to help um solve problems for for gps for their um, continuous professional development so we made my gp events together mm. which is now dormant by the way but it was really formative and he was like hey like let's not hire someone to do a website for us like shops just learn html and CSS um, and like let's do this together let's try to solve this problem like it might not go right but like you'll have learned something amazing mm. so 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 we built this and it was kind of reason like got a reasonable amount of traction with GPs but what it did do was help me understand like how to try and approach solving problems with with technology um, and allowed me to kind of learn about that there's this whole kind of other world out there so like yeah. the generalist in me was like oh, wow, like other domains to learn about. Like, this is awesome. Um, and so um, through connections with that, I then met Claire, Claire Novarol, the founder of ADA. Um, and, and that was a formative time for ADA to explore how ADA might have, add value in primary care and like pre-primary care, as it were. Um, and, and kind of through that interaction, I then started working with ADA. Um, and, and so I was doing like part-time clinical work um, in urgent care and then part-time working in the London office of Ada and like again like su- such an awesome experience to be able to work with 
incredibly talented product people, designers, engineers, scientists, etc., who were kind of all really, really willing to understand and kind of like wide eyed, like, yeah, like tell us about like what what are the issues on the front line of care and like mm. how can we how like how can we work together to try and to try and kind of you know make sure that we're addressing these problems um not only um kind of think not only honing in on like what you know ada might want to do but like let's think about broadly about um like the problems that exist on the front line um so that was a, a lot of what i was doing with my role and being clinical lead there initially um um, and at the same time, then um, was trying to do my GP events, and then saw that lots of GPs were burning out, and um, and and this was like even pre-COVID, like you know, a good four or five years ago, um, and seeing that a lot of people were thinking about leaving medicine, and I was like, hey, I know all these GPs who are like still still in clinical practice, but doing really inspiring and awesome things. So I created a podcast called Two GPs in a Pod, um, where I basically talked to lots of awesome people. So people like um, a GP who was the GP on um, like, I think BBC, like David Attenborough show. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, like, so she was the, she was the medic you know, like responsible for wow. making sure he, he was hit him and the film crew were safe. Nice. Um, like, so from people like that to like other innovators, um, like, and people who are doing, you know, really inspiring things. So, so that was really, really interesting. Um, but then kind of, I realized that I was doing lots of things um and I, I wouldn't say I was burning out but I was like hey like am I doing lots of things mediocrely and like what do I need some focus in my life good question um and 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 it was sort of, sort of the same time where I was also kind of Brexit was occurring and kind of my wife is French and we thought hey like let's let's think about getting out of London and and actually speaking to Claire um we had a conversation about potentially moving to Berlin and she was like hey that'd be awesome you could have such a like great impact here like if you're up for it we'll definitely support you to do that um so and then like two months later like I was there with my family and my two-year-old wow. daughter in Berlin and um, because like the initial deadline for for Brexit was kind of I think March March of 2019 at that time so wow. we like, oh, let's get everything sorted before that happens so, so that it's easier so how was your so German that, um it I, so I did it at school um and um it's amazing how much you forget <laughs> so, so, so it's a German bold decision like, though like mate you know yeah. just deciding okay i'm going to uproot the family and go to germany you know if, if you don't speak the language it's interesting yeah. obviously the pull of what you were offered overcame that and any other anxieties that you might have had yeah i think so um and i think the other the other the other thing to add is that um actually so like the other thing that was attractive is um that actually in in the office here in berlin everyone speaks english yeah um, and berlin is quite an international city so so actually there isn't a selection pressure necessarily to like really have to learn the language, which it kind of is to, a, I guess, a detriment because then actually yeah, like maybe my learning my, or <laughs> better at German or improving it is a bit slower. But yeah, so that, that was super interesting. And that kind of culminated in um, kind of more recently in my role being kind of director of medical quality. Mm. Um, and we can talk about that um, kind of going forward. But um, it, it was really around um, how... How do we like? How do us as clinicians make sure that we're uh, involved in product development like as early as possible? Um, and and this this kind of um, so like what does that mean? Like what does it mean to be involved early in product development? And it's kind of just really uncovering our experience as clinicians um, to help 
you know, initially like, oh, we've got this new product or new feature or new, this new thing we want to do. And it's kind of working through in a systematic way of like, um, okay, well, so are there, so what does that mean in terms of, terms of like our medical risk? Like, how do we, how do we understand how we might, what, what, what our intended benefits are there? Like, how do we measure that? What does, what does medical quality mean here, et cetera? So that was super interesting to, to learn about how that fits in like product prioritization, for example. Um, and, and so, and, and, that, and, and also the kind of that, that design process and like, for me, like my personal growth just like, like went massively up because yeah. I was like, wow, like, okay, I, well, I've got my, I've got my interest and my, my, I guess, expertise in, in apostrophes in clinical, in the clinical domain. Um, but here are all these other domains and like, you know, lots of people talk about, oh, innovation happens where like domains come together. And so like, I felt like that was net naturally my mindset being a generalist and being a GP. And I thought, well, it's just like, it's just like um, learning about the other principles of the other specialties that you have to kind of do as a, as a GP. And so, I, so it's kind of like adding these. So it, I think I, have, I read a book recently where they talk about your, your thinking being, or you being having a T-shaped career. Mm. Um, and so you kind of got the vertical of the T, which is your um, kind of like core competency or your core area of expertise. But then the, the idea is to kind of have, like have these interests and kind of develop knowledge in other domains so that you can actually talk their language. Um, and I think that's particularly important for, for clinicians to be able to do, because I think historically, like when text just happened to us, maybe clinicians, we have, have been cynical about that and expected text to come towards us. And actually part of bridging is like us going towards text. Yeah. So what do we need to upskill ourselves on? What do we need to um, change in our thinking or open our minds to? Um, but also how do we communicate clinical risk how do we com communicate what's important from the clinical domain to to um like other disciplines so yeah mm. super interesting yeah and it sounds like you're taking some of that to the um the the group that you're part of as well about yeah. you know benchmarking AI solutions as well and we'll come on to that in a second sure yeah. i'm interested i think because i think this ties into your background um about your role at ADA. And the reason I ask is because you're clearly somebody, and I've mentioned this a few times, that uh, Simon, who's now uh, at GSK, uh, came on this podcast, and he described himself as a distracted medical student, which just really kind of resonated with me. And, and, mm -hmm. I was, and it sounds like, and as a junior doctor as well, and it sounds like you, know, you were similar, you, distracted by opportunity distracted by new technology distracted by potential and all these different things which has led you to thinking about things in a different way and it is definitely a certain type of person that I think is distracted by other things and I think on one hand clinical medicine gives you an incredibly and this is up for debate but a safe route, a conveyor belt, a, you know, fixed competencies to meet, to advance to the next stage, a clear career path of where you're going. And I think to be distracted and to try and make your way in, in the other category, you have to forego quite a lot of that safety of that known knowns for a lot of unknown unknowns right sure. yeah, yeah. and it's not as clear and it was an interesting thing you said about technology and the fact that 
it can't come to us. We also need to bridge and go to it. I feel that way about careers too, when it comes to that other section, just because you're interested in it, a career isn't going to come and find you. You're an example of somebody that has not only lent into that, but really proactively gone to find opportunity. And I think that's an important point, not only as it relates to careers, but as it relates to technology and healthcare too. I think you're absolutely right that for people that are distracted by new technology, that are interested in new technology and that currently exist in clinical medicine, I almost feel like there is a responsibility for those people to help in that bridging, to find a new career, to create that, because it is only us that are interested in the technology side of things that are going to do that. And I think it, it, was just, it just resonated with me quite a lot what you said there. And I think that that is a really interesting element. I suppose my question in this is, in finding that other career path and in finding those other things to do, foregoing that safe route, knowing what it takes to get the job, to get to the next stage and going into this very kind of wild west of digital health, the way you described your role, for example, about um, about what you do at ADA and you know quality and all these different things. It can mean so many things. You can do so many things. A lot of this path is untrodden. You're, you're finding those new things to do. A lot of people will not enjoy that uncertainty. Do you enjoy that uncertainty and actually I don't know, laying down that first path in a lot of these places. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, so. So I totally agree with the, 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 first of all, that the kind of the way you link that to careers as well and, and totally resonates with me in terms of um, like this, like innate desire in me to get off the conveyor belt. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, yeah, I think you have to be a certain ilk, of a certain ilk. And, you know, I've got plenty of colleagues and friends who are like, Hey, I like, I have, I have, exactly what idea of like what I want to be I want to mm. be a cardiothoracic surgeon and like, I know what steps I need to take and I'm just going to take them and that's great and that's and that's really important and we that we have people who are really focused on what they want to do um, but I think um, sometimes we hear so I think in the past we've heard maybe like survivorship bias of like the people who've been really successful in their specialties and yes. that's like all that was known and that's all that the narrative was um, and actually now, perhaps we're, we're actually now seeing um, kind of now the lag time um, of the people who've kind of been a bit more adventurous and stepped off the conveyor belt, like whether it's digital health or like, I don't know, people go off and do expedition medicine and then like created yeah. careers from that perspective or like, and so, so I, I think it's really great to be able to think of your career um, as just wider than the the only options you have and like feeling boxed in maybe mm. so if you're of the ilk of like hey i want to get outside the box like there are lots of people who have like trodden much of that and m maybe even new things that we haven't even discovered yet that 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 need someone to go and say hey like the trail hasn't been laid out yet and like i'm gonna kind of like cut a path here mm. um, so I, I certainly don't think i've cut a path path into digital health at all like there's many people who who, who have done that before me um but um, definitely be like being okay with uncertainty um, and kind of really, really trying to think about how, how to, how, like, how do I apply the principles of what I've learned a in medical school, b in kind of clinical practice and, you know, the, the principles we have about clinical governance, et cetera. Like how do we take the best of that 
um, and apply that here. But also, I guess, like, how do we take like what frustrates us in in clinical medicine and how and, and our experience there, and like how do we make sure that that's communicated in a way that helps these guys who are like maybe outside of that or don't really un, um, have that perspective to be like. Mm all right, I hadn't thought about it that way. That's true. Oh, you know, we were thinking about it only from this perspective, but like adding that perspective um, really helps to, I, I guess, ensure that we actually get good tech in clinical settings. Mm. And I guess that's, what, like, that's one of the reasons uh, um, that um, uh, we created Docker Labs um, because I guess there's, you have your, like, your digital, digitally savvy clinicians um, and I guess one of the things I was seeing is a like on on one hand you've got startups who um, maybe have a superficial understanding of the clinical area that they're operating in, um, and but maybe like are wanting to talk to clinicians but just haven't got access to the right people. Then you have some who hey I've got a couple of digital health advisors like clinical advisors, and you feel like that oh, that, that ticks the box of like understanding the clinical context. Um, and so what we, what we saw was a real need for like getting everyone's, uh, all of us clinicians um, insights into shaping digital health, not, the, not just the self-selecting group who are digitally savvy. And so I guess that's what we're trying to do with Docker Labs is, is, is saying, even if you stayed on the conveyor belt, um, like you, ha- you have an opportunity and what you said earlier, a responsibility to to shape digital health because it's coming like it's coming for us like how do we engage yeah and there's like ways you can do that so you don't have to be an entrepreneur you don't have to be a um you know a, a, a digital health advisor or, or something yeah. like that like how do how do we facilitate that conversation and that's what we're trying to do yeah yeah i completely agree and actually there's something in there as well for me uh, yeah it's co- it's coming for us and i think yeah you're right like and it's not just the people interested in digital health that are going to have to engage with the healthcare as it will be digitally like everybody is going to be moving into this and so it shouldn't be the, the opportunity to express opinion should not be reserved for the people biased enough to declare interest and want to do something quite active because those aren't that, that you're going to get a certain perspective in everything that's coming at us from digital health if we are just going to the people that are super interested in digital health. And I think one interesting example of that for me is a few conversations that I've had around digital health where I know clinicians that are frustrated that it's just more things. It's just more stuff. It's more platforms. It's more programs to open. And as they put it, it's just more things to think about and things to do. And they they want to see a world and exist in a world where all this digital stuff is just imperceptible. It just makes their life easier. And I think that's an, that's an interesting, and people are trying to get there possibly via this bit where it's a bit more stuff, but that opinion I would argue is more valid because otherwise we're going to be stuck on the early adopter part of the curve and we're not going to get late adoption. And we're certainly not going to get lackards if it, if it's not good for everybody. And so you're right. I think that is a really interesting idea. And it sounds like that's what you're doing at Doco Labs, which sounds awesome. I think it's, yeah, it's about whether you call it democratizing, whether you just call it making popular or certainly bringing to the fore the opinions of all of those people and making 
making everyone, every clinician valid in the new wave of digital health, because that, I just think, we talk about adoption all the time being the biggest issue. And if we're stuck in this bit where we're just sourcing opinion from the people that are self-selecting interested, we're never going to get there. So sounds like a cool idea, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of learned that at Ada, like well, in our interactions and kind of, re, you know, um, I, I was always like, hey, like my opinion here is N equals one. Like we we need more than that. And actually I say so, that so, all the so, time. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I think um, so. So and, and that's what we're definitely doing. So and like, you know, we really need to find people who say, you know, this is a good idea, but like this won't work in this setting or this won't work because you haven't considered this. But if you and if we're able to kind of create that engagement, I think something power, something more powerful can happen. I mean, we talk about product market fit, right? Um, actually, like, how can we facilitate like product clinical setting fit? And, and, and that's engaging with lots of different, like a diverse group of clinicians, including those who are like really cynical about tech because, um, and, and it's not just the opinion part in terms of like exploratory research or user research. I think it's also about usability testing. Um, and if you look at our legacy EHRs, um, you know, every every clinician will be like, oh, like, how many clicks do I have to do to this? Um, and, oh, everyone's talking about AI, but can you just make my computer just work in the morning, please, <laughs> before my clinic so starts? And, yeah, <laughs> like, and so kind of getting that to the fore um, and also that that usability part so that what you mentioned, it was just it's in, imperceptible or at the very least, like just really easy to use. Um, yeah. That usability part, I think we... I think we as an industry need to do much, much better on that. Um, and and it's so. Um, and by the way, like it's not just clinicians. Like we have to do do this for diverse groups of like users and patients and lay users as well. So I think it, it, I think it's really important for the whole piece. And so kind of learning all of that at Ada and the people I've interacted with, uh, and and kind of seeing that actually other startups who are kind of earlier in their journey, um, and like putting it to the fore. Like hey, like if you do this right, um, actually it's a great return on investment for you if you do it right yeah 100 percent. No, I, t- I totally agree man i think um i think it is a sign that the space is maturing it's a sign that health tech <clears throat> excuse me it's a sign that health tech as a whole i think is getting to a point now where there are other players that are coming and rounding off the edges here you know you look at the likes of giles morrison everything he's doing with like clinical ux type stuff yeah, totally. like yep. inventing the term almost and a real focus on how does how usable actually is this for clinical teams for clinical systems is this built in the right way as a product as a you know it's it it seems to me that the space is maturing and it seems that yeah docker labs is it's definitely sounds like a you know a part of that a, a sign and a symptom of a of a of a maturing ecosystem which from my position just feels great like if, I've I've seen health tech for for ten years in its infancy and where it is now, and it it's super exciting to me that that other players are coming to the fore. It's almost it's like what we're doing at Somex, right? Like we wouldn't have a reason to exist if it wasn't for so many startups popping up, so many scalers popping up. The the best of the best wanting to be louder about what they do and 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 you know create new markets and things like that. It's it's a super interesting place to be health tech at the minute for all those reasons, but. To move us on from ecosystem to more specifics, I want to talk about Ada. So tell me about Ada, first of all, what you guys are doing. Tell me about what a director of medical quality does at Ada. Um, and yeah, we talk about the, the space that, that you're in for a bit. Yeah, sounds good. Um, 
So, so ADA is an AI powered symptom assessment tool um, that helps people kind of, I guess, um, feel, feel the pain of, uh, sorry, assuage the pain of like what I saw in uh, working in urgent care, which is lots of people showing up to emergency being like, hey, like I had this bunch of symptoms. I didn't really didn't know how worried to be. And so like I'm here um, to, to kind of get some I don't know, reassurance or just to check. So, so, so the idea for, I guess, for Ada is to, to learn a lot in terms of um, what's, what, what the kind of symptom constellation is, like what's, what's going on with you, kind of putting that together through, so a, a knowledge base that's been built up by um, like a big group of clinicians. So we've got over 40 um, doctors working at Ada, kind of building that knowledge base based on the latest um, medical literature. Um, and then a, um, and combining that with a probabilistic reason, reasoning engine, um, which then kind of gives the outputs, which are um, suggestions of conditions that might be causing with some information about um, kind, of, kind of what that involves, what, like what, what could be going on. Um, but more importantly, kind of um, a level of advice in terms of like a, a, an option of like what you should do. So like what level of care should you, should you seek? Um, and so, so aid is used by kind of 11 million people around the world. There's 11, over, um, over tw I think 23 million assessments have been completed around the world and it's available in several languages across the world as well. So um, English, German, French, Portuguese, Spanish, uh, Swahili, um, and kind of like, like various others in the pipeline. And, and I think one thing to say is like, so like, why are we here? Like, what are we trying to do? Um, I think it's really using like the best medical knowledge that's out there um, and kind of trying translating that into kind of like good health outcomes for like as many people as we can. Um, so, you know, pe people use a cliche of like democratizing healthcare and access to healthcare. Um, but I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, and, and, and so if that then leads on to like, what does medical quality mean? And the, like, what does someone like me as a director of medical quality do? I think it's ensuring that, okay, yeah, we want to do the right thing in terms of that long-term vision, but like, how do we do it? How do we do it right? How do we do it in the right way? Um, what are the things that we need to, I guess, optimize for? How do we constantly make sure that we're improving? Um, what pillars do we need to kind of attach ourselves to to ensure medical quality? Um, and yeah, so we're, and we're working we're, we're working with partners across the world um, in the US and like you know many other parts of the world to to also kind of like aim to be people's personal personal health OS system as well. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about Ada, and yeah, it's re really cool and exciting place to work. So for people that don't know the app or the company, practically speaking, who does it who is it for, and what does it look like? Yeah, so it's it's for anyone. So it's for um, um, someone who's experiencing, um, you know, symptoms. It's an it's an app that you can download. It's free to download. Um, and essentially, if you're, you know, I don't know, maybe you you're feeling nauseous or you know you've got some symptoms and you're like, mm, I don't know whether I need to call my doctor now or like rock up to the emergency department or can I just take care of this myself or do you know take something over the counter? Um, the idea is that you can put your symptoms in. Ada will ask you then questions like further questions, um, a bit like a doctor would. Um, and then at the end, you get a report um, uh, giving you some information about the types of conditions that this could be, but also some advice about, okay, um, it sounds like this might be serious. You might, you know, you need to go to 
the emergency department that, that would be a good idea or you know probably um see a doctor in a couple of days about this and hear some information about what might be causing this and so so that's that's yeah that's what we do and um, cool yeah yeah and so that contextualizes quite nicely then obviously the role uh, in a medical quality right i think yeah. it's interesting that you said so you know you're putting in symptoms you're getting a, a list of probable causes or probable um as you say uh, diseases or what or, you know whatever it's likely to be obviously latest medical evidence becomes quite important here about the right things to do and it's it's a funny one isn't it because i i've existed in the health tech world as I said, for a long time and i've seen i've seen this come around in waves like this pe- people wanting a a solution for like something that can read all the papers, something that can like figure it all out, something that can, I don't know, translate all of that stuff. Because bear in mind, how many medical journals are there that, that are, uh, you know, published every week, every month, like across all the different specialties, across all the different types. Like there is, there are so many studies going on all the time and there's so much information to, to contextualize and, you know, only a certain amount of it is going to be relevant for, for what you do, but still that's quite a lot. It's interesting to me that like at the end of the day, you've got 40 doctors on this, like, and, and practically speaking, like that's what it takes. And yes, they're going to be doing other things, but too, but at the end of the day, it's interesting to me that there, 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 first of all, that there hasn't really been a, a, a tech solution to, to figure all that stuff out, but also at the end of the day, consumers I think where you can call them consumers, patients, people that are experiencing negative health are entitled to the latest medical evidence. And it is not accessible to them being in medical journals until practice changes and they expose themselves to a health system that eventually does that. It's interesting that this seems to bridge the gap there almost. It means that latest medical evidence is actually getting to people Um with a way that they do something, a way that they change something about their health or, or indeed the way that they do or don't access services. It's interesting that you're bringing kind of all that medical literature to people in a way that they wouldn't have had that before. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's important to also um, consider the, the other part of the, the, you know, medical quality, because, because uh, uh, so what you, by the way, what you said really, really resonates and it's, it's, that's like one of the like found you know founding reasons why Claire mm. and Martin and Daniel really kind of went into creating Ada of like how do we get how do we democratize this knowledge and information mm. and how do we make make that accessible to everyone it, it um and and I think it kind of made me think about several things one is um that our changing need to be really paternalistic about medical information um as clinicians um oh they can't handle that um you know that this maybe old legacy notion and maybe we do it at different different ends of the spectrum depending on what we're thinking about so but part of it is yes like yes with like with great knowledge and whatever comes great responsibility or something but i think it's it's like how how do we yeah exactly (laughs) exactly. um but 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 i think it's i think it's something to do with like also how we communicate that and Mm -hmm. And, and so one part of um, medical quality is, okay, we've got this like global knowledge base and um, using the probabilistic uh, re- um, reasoning engine to like also consider where someone is in the world um, and kind of apply 
um, that that local context, which is super important. But that's not enough because actually it's really thinking about okay, if we want to democratize that information and make it accessible to that to those people, um, actually we really need to think about how we're communicating that information. Like how is that landing on them? How how are we um, like considering cultural nuance? How do we how are we considering like local attitudes about disease, et cetera. So, so when we think about medical quality, I feel like it's at several parts of like product development life cycle. So part of it is like early in the process when, you know, hey, we're doing this new thing or we've got a new condition that we want to model or we want to look at something. It's really thinking about like understanding the need that we're trying to address here and the intended benefit that we're trying to have and like who, who, who are the people we're trying to benefit here. Um, understanding what potential risks there might be from a, med a medical perspective and then really helping helping to then understand okay how do we mitigate for that um what kind of safeguards do we have and what kind of guardrails do we have um how do we test that um so part of part of our testing is um kind of internally doing um like um have it, having our kind of our clinicians who are creating um, disease models etc having their own internal testing that they do but then we also have it like an external externally created um case scenario set that's like you know it's and it's really important that that has like a good coverage of conditions types of presentations like atypical weird presentations of things yeah. that might only occur in a certain context for example or a certain setting um and and really really kind of making sure that that is in embedded and baked into development and and our i guess like quality management systems yeah um and, oh. and and that's important from a technical point of view, yeah, um, and, a, and a medical point of view, and a regulation point like, of view, <laughs> and a regulation point of view. But I think there's like more to it because like and, and because that's like that's about performance. Yeah, that's about like how accurate you are, how safe you are. Yeah, and when we think about how good a doctor is, um, we're not thinking, oh, um, that doctor's good because they just diagnosed me right there and there on the spot, Accurately, just taking yeah, exactly. my history. Um, it's more about also like how did um how did they make me feel did like yeah. did my lived experience of what's going on with me like actually make it to their understanding like how did they sensitively ask me questions how how did they then communicate what was going on with me and what i should do like do i feel i trust this interaction so there's this other piece and so like how do we ensure that and so that's a lot of the things that we're kind of wrestling with and making sure that we're trying to improve as well and part of that is like user testing as well and um, making sure that we do that really well and that's like also making sure that we do that from in a local context point of view so that you know if we're doing if, if we're kind of having a partnership in the us it's important that we kind of really understand what's going on in, in mm. over there um, and and how things work and how how the health system works there and how we're helping and uh, trying to, to add value there but then equally if we're working in um, another part of the world, whether it's Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa or something like that, it's really work, like working with those partners to understand that. Because, because I guess you can, when you think about AI in healthcare, we can come on to like the ITU, WHO mm. stuff later. Like you have, a, you, you, can, you can say, oh, I've you know, created this AI algorithm that's got um, this level of accuracy. It's like almost 100% or whatever. And, then, and as a clinician, you know, you'll be like, yeah, well, like, so what? And um, yeah like what's the impact like so and i think about that at three levels and it's like what's the impact on patients and their journey and how they feel and, and how they how how they um are how are we improving their like journey in, in terms of this 
illness or this this the, the thing that they go, they're going through. Um, how are we impacting clinicians and clinical outcomes? Um, and kind of what we alluded to earlier in terms of being seamless and imperceptible um, for clinicians and their workflow. Um, and then at a system, you can like zoom out and be like system level, right? How are we benefiting the system? So yes, we can make sure that we optimize for being safe, but if you let then too far optimize for, oh, you know, by being safe, maybe you're just sending everyone to the emergency department, <laughs> but that's not useful. That's not impactful. Yeah. You're actually, you actually want to make sure you get the balance right of saying, how do we appropriately send people to the right level of care in a safe way? And that sometimes that might be really being bold and saying, mm, in this in this situation, like we think you can um, kind of take care of this yourself. Um, and part of that is also communicating, hey, like what do I do when things get worse? And like a good doctor will do that, right? So it's kind of learning like the best of like what a doctor um, does well, the best doctors do, and saying, well, how can we learn from that and kind of make Ada able to facilitate then that conversation and that next step in that journey of the patient it's a really healthy mindset because you're absolutely right when and and that what you said about what makes a good doctor that really resonates with me because you're you're absolutely right in the sense that if you ask any patient what makes a good doctor or their favorite doctor or even their favorite gp to go and see at their practice it's not, you're right. It's not the one that was able to say that with a 97% uh, confidence they had this, but there was a still a 21%, like, you know, of this and the 5%. Like, it, that, medicine's that, messier than that, right? So it's, yeah. it's hard to just be like, oh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember when I did my, um, when I was a medical student, actually, and my, my tutor was a GP and uh, I did a clinic actually with my with, with my tutor and he um he was he was telling me a similar story and he said not that I saw this patient with him but he did say that the thing is the other day he saw a patient um that had an infection and they needed antibiotics and he knew enough about that patient he was anti pretty maybe anti-tech or not, not necessarily anti-tech but you know wasn't wasn't a keen person that wanted to really you know try all the latest stuff but he said because he knew that patient so well and that patient prayed five times a day that he knew what to prescribe that patient because he could attach it to that because he also knew that she had a pretty shocking short-term memory however she would always remember to do that five times a day. And so actually, is it worth changing the dose of the antibiotic, taking a slight hit on efficacy and best practice and standards, et cetera, to make sure that they got a certain level in the bloodstream to cure the infection, right? <clears throat> and it's and it's that that I think is really interesting about what you said about the ambition of Ada is to become better. But the, def the definition of better is not just percentage probabilities of a differential diagnosis it's actually about far more than that it's actually about everything that you said about that holistic nature of and you can you can get philosophical about what a good doctor is or what good medicine is um but i suppose it's nice to know that the health tech companies in the space like you are thinking in those terms the final question that i'd like to ask is about what you mentioned the world health organization group that you're part of how does everything that you do relate to that and vice versa 
Yeah, so so good question. So so the ITU WHO, so ITU is the International Telecommunications Union, not Intensive Care Unit, as I first thought when someone told me about it. Um, so it's it's basically so there. So the ITU are experts in standardization of like technical standards. So like they've standardized like the video codecs of like um, much of the videos that we see on the internet, okay. for example. Um, and they're, they're, they're a UN organization and their sister organization is WHO, the World Health, Health Organization. And I think they've seen that, hey, like across all modalities within healthcare, um, there's this kind of real kind of potential that everyone sees for AI. Um, but there's this kind of like gap of um, like, how do we kind of in a standardized way really understand like which um, AI tools are kind of best for certain contexts and 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 um, which ones are really, really useful? Um, and how do we go about evaluating that in a standardized way? So with that, so within the ITU WHO focus group, um, there are vertical topic groups, which is like, which are representing each modality. So there's like a radiology type of group, there's like a population health group, and then we've got symptom assessment, we've got a vertical group symptom. And so we're working with our peers in the field, um, uh, so kind of, you know, putting away our swords um, whilst we're in these forums and saying, hey, like, how do we, so how do we create the pipeline um, for standardized in like um, benchmarking on independently curated data sets? And, and the reason that there's that gap and the reason that's important is because on one hand, you've got, you know, all of, all of our companies, um, you know, we have, as I, as I explained before, our internal validation sets, our internal benchmarking. Mm-hmm. And um, we can go out to the world and be like, hey, you know, you know, our intentions are good. We're doing this in the right way. And people are like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, but that's your stuff. That's yeah. your data. Um, how do we know that it will be working in our context? Um, and so on the other side of the spectrum, you've got like, well, yeah, absolutely. We need to do cl- prospective clinical evaluations and clinical studies, which, you know, often we'll do. But the problem is they're super, super slow and they take ages to do. Um, and so is there an opportunity for us to somewhere in the middle have something that's more trusted than our internal benchmarking and faster, um, but not replacing um, prospective clinical uh, studies? And so that's the, that's, I guess that's the overarching idea of the, the focus group, which is how do we create the pipeline for that? And then within our vertical group, um, symptom assessment, we're kind of working um, to say, how do, we, how do we, for our kind of modality, so like that, so much messier than image classification. Um, you know, you've got symptoms. Um, how do you then have a common ontology that then you map to? And then how do you how do you make sure that you have a globally representative, independently curated data sets that then can give people who are making decisions that we might want to work with um, to get context level decision making and metrics that that show how good something performs. Um, um, and so that's the kind of big idea. And then within that, there's, it's important that to, to state that this isn't supposed to be like the industry creating the standards for itself. Like there needs to be oversight. So there's a regulatory working group. There are kind of data and ethics working groups that, that have like experts from across the field globally to make sure that they kind of have oversight on this process. Um, and then within that, there's also a clinical evaluation group, working group. And so that's chaired by uh, myself, Naomi Lee from The Lancet, um, and Eva Viken um, from the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany. And the idea is to kind of bring kind of experts in AI and healthcare um, from a clinical evaluation perspective. So clinicians, academics, various others, health, health economics, into kind of thinking about 
how how do we build on the great work that's already been done in terms of um, you know the there's now you know the various reporting guidelines for example for clinical studies in AI um, and how do we make that how do we ensure that the process in terms of the focus group follows and and builds on this work that's already been done um, where are there other gaps um, and and so so that's a really 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 interesting piece of work um, to to be doing because it really really helps. I think from, from an aid perspective, it's great to have the opportunity to do that. And I think from, from Ada's perspective, it's, it kind of fits with their, their MO of like, how do we collaborate um, and actually like welcome these rigorous standards so that we can do things in the right way. Um, and so, so the, the big push from Ada saying, yeah, like shops get like, get involved in this. This is really good. You have our blessing um, is kind of also to make sure that we, we are collaborating and, and kind of that shapes us as well to make sure that we're improving internally as well. So, so yeah, that's a real like awesome, awesome project to be working on. Mate, quality. What a, what a career you've got. It's wonderful to hear from some, somebody that's diversified so much that's followed their interests and is frankly loving it. I mean, you can tell in your voice, man, that you love where you're at. My final question is, if people want to get in touch with you to learn a bit more or to ask your advice, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, so I've got a LinkedIn profile, uh, Shubs Upadhyay. Um, I've got a Twitter profile at Shubs Up Doc, um, S-H-U-B-S-U-P-D-O-C. Um, or you can kind of send me an email. Maybe, maybe I can send it to you and then you can put it. Uh, yeah. In the show notes. Either, yeah. Either, either my Ada one or, um, um, or even, uh, I think it's probably available on the Docker labs website as well. Dockerlabs.io. So, so check it out there and get in touch there. So, yeah. Mate, absolute pleasure having you on. I think everything you're doing is awesome. Ada is just going from strength to strength from everything that I see online. Um, and as I say, you know, a career as diverse as yours is uh, a certainly aspiration of many. So I imagine you might get a couple of people in touch. But um, pleasure having you on, my friend, and look forward to chatting again. Thanks so much for the chance to talk to you, James. And uh, yeah, again, sorry, <laughs> sorry about the <laughs> drilling. Um, but yeah, really great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.